Okay, so today we are talking about trauma. And as I have mentioned to you guys before, this is like part two of trauma and there will probably be many, many parts to this. I'm giving it to you guys in small digestible parts because it, it is a lot to process. But as I mentioned in my earlier talk about it, that take it as much as you can, you don't want to listen to it anymore, turn it off, come back to it if you want, don't come back to it what you, if you don't want, just trust your reaction to it. If it's overwhelming, turn it off. You do not need this. <laughs> I give you permission to turn it off. Um, and so you have to trust your psyche on how much it can take. And if it's saying this is too much and alarm bells are going off, you're not going to retain anything anyway. So you might as well just turn it off. So um, that's what I'm going to say about that. Okay. And as I mentioned to you guys before, what I'm really talking about here is developmental trauma, like complex trauma. Okay, so this is not a traumatic event that happened and me talking about that. I'm really talking about developmental trauma. But in any case, when you have trauma, there are certain things that happen in your brain. And I want to talk to you about that because how you will integrate and treat trauma has got to incorporate all of these parts. And now, I studied, you know, 17 years ago and the movement of, you know, being trauma informed has come so far. Uh, it's from trauma informed schools to trauma informed corporations, trauma informed relationships, trauma informed parenting, trauma informed um, treatments, trauma informed yoga. Like you just need anyone that works with the mind or the body of another human being needs to be trauma informed because you need to understand what might be coming up for you. And this is why I think it's so important for parents in today's world to be trauma informed, not just so they understand their own trauma and what they might be passing on to their child without intention and without knowing but also because the world itself is quite traumatic for a child who hasn't developed their cognitive abilities to process and make sense of the world. And that's how we all were, right? We all came on with our right brain a little bit more switched on than our left brain, and that left brain comes online as age goes on. And, um, and, we have emotional and somatic memory of things that we actually don't have recollection of through our thoughts. And when we were growing up, the world was big and we were small. And that's why there, it can be a very difficult experience to just go through childhood. Now, if you have... Um, you know, some of the ACEs, I'm not going to go into ACEs, maybe that'll be next time. But if you have some early childhood, you know, adverse experiences, that could be the death of a parent or emotional or physical abuse, neglect, 
divorce, a mental health, uh, a serious mental health condition of a parent, and the implications of that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, if you grew up in that, then the world was definitely not a safe place for you. But now take the children of today, and they and what they are experiencing. It's really overwhelming. And I look at the kids, you know, they're connected to all parts of the world. They're looking at content that they should not be looking at. We have like ratings on movies. And these movies they know are like, you know, created in Hollywood. But then we have violent ratings, not for children, but the news and, you know, live feeds of different parts of the world that are very, very violent and where things are happening. And one of the hallmarks of trauma is inescapability. I cannot get out of this or I feel helpless in the face of this. That is one of the hallmarks of trauma. So when you have something like that, as, a, as an experience that children might be experiencing and that the world just feels unsafer and unsafer and unsafer, they, you can imagine that that would be quite traumatizing for their underdeveloped nervous systems to process and their not fully formed frontal, you know, not fully formed brains to process. And the parts of the brain that really help us process some of these things and make sense of some of these things don't fully come on until about 23 24 which is our prefrontal cortex so i'm not just talking little kids here i'm talking young adults even don't have that capacity fully engaged yet so you introduce trauma in these early stages and in adolescence and late Adolesc- uh, late adolescence and early adulthood, that, that can have long-term implications. Now, having said that, there is treatment for it. So this is not that, oh, like your brain is now compromised and you can never get it back. Thank God that that is not the case, that we actually can reverse damage. We can reverse this, you know, this fragmentation that happens when trauma happens through treatment and through different practices to create that safety back in our body and in our brains. So let's talk a little bit about what happens in the brain when we experience this chronic trauma that we are unable to process. Now remember, trauma is not something that anyone else can define for you. Trauma is anything that overwhelms your capacity to cope. So I can actually be a very resilient person. However, if I have now experienced a loss, for example, and I am very stressed at work, and I just had a new baby, and then something happens to me, which may not have compromised me before because I didn't have all of these other stressors um, happening, these other challenges happening in my life at that time. So I was not as vulnerable. Uh, That experience can actually be lodged in as, as me feeling overwhelmed 
in my ability to cope. So that could be a traumatic experience for me. So research shows that even in secure attached relationships, children can experience trauma when they feel overwhelmed by their capacity to cope. So mostly they linked uh, trauma to or complex trauma to disorganized attachment styles because if you don't feel safe in that world then of course you're not going to feel safe inside of you or in your brain um, and it was mostly linked to that and adverse childhood experiences however even insecure experiences a child could feel traumatized by certain events because they just felt overwhelmed at that time. So I hope that that part is very clear that it is about being overwhelmed and the resources are not there to buffer you. And when you don't have those resources to buffer you, protective factors to buffer you, these experiences, challenges can overwhelm your capacity. So that's why it's so important for us to, to work on those protective factors build those protective factors and one of the most important protective factors which is very compromised these days guys is deep close intimate relationships when you feel safe with another human being when you feel accepted and loved fully as you are that is a very protective factor when it comes for a person to experience trauma. Now that is interesting because in the research of resiliency, they found that even if the child had one relationship where they felt safe, so not mother, father, grandparents or anything like that, but maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a teacher, that that was enough for them to feel safe in this world. So that really makes us think about, well, if you work with children or if you're a coach or if you're a teacher, or if you're an aunt, if you are an uncle like these, you have a lot of power to create that safety. Even if you know that that child is overwhelmed elsewhere, you can be that, that safe place for them. So what happens in the brain during trauma? Now, the the parts of your brain, let's just divide them into right and well, this would be my right, but it's your right, right, left, front, back. The reason why I'm smiling is because <laughs> I have really bad right, left, um, uh, you know, understanding. It's like I get really confused. So I remember when I was in my driver's test um, and they said, uh, make a right turn and I turned left and they were like, hmm, that was a really good left turn. But now can you make a right turn? I was like, oh my God, I'm going to fail my driver's ed test because I have right left brain confusion. And it is a thing, by the way. So I have gotten neuropsych testing and some brains just have right left brain confusion. So I have that. So anyways, you get it. Right, left, front, front, back. <laughs> and so you have these parts of your brain. When you've experienced things like developmental trauma, or when you have experienced a traumatic event or, you know, ongoing trauma, the right brain will be, be very active. The left brain shuts down. The front of the brain shuts down and the back of the brain 
activates. So you can imagine that all of these different parts are saying, whoa, that we are we are now shutting off and we are not uh, we are not going to work together. Now, the right brain is the emotional, spatial, tactile part of the brain. It is the part that develops first in the womb. That's interesting. So we probably have emotional memory of, well, not probably, we do have emotional memory of being in the womb that can be accessed and that can be resolved if there was trauma there. So that right part of the brain is the first part to develop. And it's the part that is artistic and, um, yeah, like I said, visual and emotional. It also stores memory of touch, sound, and smell. Touch, sound, and smell. This is your right brain. Your left brain is going to be the part that is rational, it's logical, it's you know, the part that problem solves. It's also going to be the part that's analytical. And that part will shut down during trauma. Okay, so your ability to problem solve, your ability to organize, your ability to make logical sort of sense of things is compromised in times of trauma. That's why it's so traumatic is because we we actually don't have the words to explain this. I don't have access to that. And the part of the brain, which is called the Broca speech center, that literally blacks out at that point. The speech center of the brain blacks out. So you have no access to words. And so you'll, you, and this will obviously affect your freeze response or it will help, it will be the part of you that dissociates. And so you, it's like an overwhelmed, the brain is just lit up at that point in different parts and shut down in different parts, which make it very difficult for you to even explain what happened. This is when you are overwhelmed. Now, Someone can go through an experience and I can go through that experience, but then I can be fully present with all of my five senses and my sixth sense, which is my body sense, and I can fully experience that and move through that experience engaged, where other part, other people might actually split off, they might dissociate because they're so overwhelmed. Those people are more likely to have post-traumatic type of experiences because we we just don't remember. And so they're split off and then they show up in our uh, consciousness from nowhere. We get triggered because it's actually locked off and blocked off in different parts of the brain and our body. Now, what is really interesting is um, the adrenal, the adrenal cortical, um, the adrenal cortical tropic hormone, which is the ACTH, gets released in the body during times of stress, okay? So when you have the ACTH release, now the adrenals kick on during times of stress. And you all know of adrenaline, right? You all know of adrenaline, these things above the kidneys that release adrenaline into the system and that adrenaline turns on the amygdala, which is our fight or flight response. And it says, let's move. But what it does is it actually increases your emotional memory. 
the, adren the adrenaline increases your emotional memory. Now, the cortisol, interestingly enough, which is happening at the same time, the adrenaline is released, the cortisol is being released. The cortisol shuts off your hippocampus. What is the hippocampus? That's our memory center. That is actually where memories are stored, um, the thinking memories, not the emotional memories. And so that part of you, so you you actually have no cognitive sort of memory of that experience that is accessible. So now we have emotional memory, which is stored in different parts of our body and our brain, but we have no memory that is a thinking memory um, that is um, access, uh, accessible to us, which is why it is impossible to work with trauma without working with the body. It is impossible to work with the trauma without accessing the deeper parts of our brain, which is what happens through brain spotting, which is what happens through um, EMDR. We're actually bypassing some parts and we're going into the deeper memories and we're just uh, co-regulating with another person those experiences that got frozen in time, basically. So that's the adrenaline and cortisol and the right brain, left brain. Another thing happens in your body is endorphins are released. Endorphins, literally coming from the word morphine, which is to numb the pain. Numb, it numbs the pain. So you're literally not feeling anything at that point. And that's the body's way of protecting you from being so overwhelmed that you actually collapse, you know, and, and we don't want that. So it shuts it down, it numbs it out, and that's where the numbing experience could happen. And you're, you're thinking, well, how is this person even enduring that? The body knows what it needs to do. It releases what it needs to release. And human beings can withstand a lot of that kind of trauma because the body is very, very protective and resilient. And it's going to do everything it can to protect you. Even the shutdown response is there to protect you. Because if the predator is coming near you and you fight or flight, you ain't going to run from this predator. So what it does is it plays dead and it just freezes. And it says, okay, let me just not move. And so the predator thinks I'm dead and then they leave. So even the freeze response is a protective response. And I know that there's a lot of shame associated with people who experience a freeze response because they're like, well, why didn't I do anything? Why didn't I say anything? How couldn't I do something for my family or my child or, you know, myself when I was experiencing that trauma? You couldn't. Your body was protecting you because at that point you were so overwhelmed that if, you, if it let you go, you might actually die. That's what the body believed. The brain believed that, the brain body, one thing guys. So the brain and body believed that it needed to shut it down. So having a lot of self-compassion is also going to be very important as we do trauma-informed work. That that was you doing the best you can. And thank God it did what it did because now you are here and now you are talking about it and now you are healing it. So in this developmental trauma type of Thing, two other things to think about, which is the thalamus, which is the gatekeeper. It's part of our limbic, uh, limbic, 
limbic brain. Um, the, the thalamus is um, basically looking, it's like a filter, the gatekeeper, which should I respond to this? Should I not respond to this? Should I respond to that? No, no. That part is super active in people that have experienced developmental trauma. So they actually see threat and feel threat where there may not be threat. They're just vigilant. They're looking all the time. So if I don't look at you while I'm sitting in the meeting, immediately threat is detected. So you can imagine people with developmental trauma are going to have a harder time in relationships because things that might not be might not be the intention of the other person to be um, threatening to you could be experienced as threat to the system because they are activated at that point. Now, there's something also called the periaqueductal gray. So I'm just going to call it the PA, the PA of the brain. It's called the PAG, but PA sounds better, which is the primitive They literally call it like the cockroach part of the brain. It's so primitive and as old as time, it is the danger detecting threat. Uh, The danger detecting part of the brain also very active in people who have had developmental trauma. So now you have a brain, parts of it are on, parts of it are off. The parts that hold on to the thinking memory, not accessible. The parts that are emotional memory, fully on. So we have emotional memory and we don't have that link to the thinking memory. That disconnect has happened. We have the alert systems fully engaged and now we set them off to school and we set them off to work. And we set them off into the world to go relate to other people. This is going to be compromised, guys. And the prefrontal cortex in developmental trauma is blocked. And the prefrontal cortex is the part that links all the different systems together. It communicates with each other. It's the brain's executive center. And the cortex, the limbic uh, system, the brain stem, the body um, awareness, the social awareness, all of that is happening through the prefrontal cortex. It is also the part that is compromised in people with ADHD. Now, you want to think about ADHD a little bit because what is that, right? They have access to different parts of their brain, but their frontal cortex, like, could that have been developmental trauma? And could it then be healed through treatments that are trauma-informed? through treating the polyvagal system, through strengthening the vagal tone. I don't know, just saying. (laughs) All I know is that my ability to pay attention, my ability to sit, my ability to listen, all of that changed when I did the healing of my brain and my body. So maybe if I had done that work as a kid, I wouldn't have been so hyperactive. I wouldn't have been that, you know, angry. (laughs) This anger is the fight or flight response. And so just keeping that in mind. 
So what happens when you have all of these parts that are disintegrated and all of these parts that are not communicating with each other and they're like blocked off in their little corners? You don't have emotional balance. You're very volatile, fight or flight. I had someone message me yesterday and he said, I swear a lot. I'm very reactive. Someone says something to me and I'm like a spiky porcupine and I will attack that person and immediately launch in. Is that something to do with my nervous system being dysregulated? Yes, definitely. It has something to do with your nervous system being dysregulated. Human beings are not, like we are not born with that programming. We are born to engage, have social engagement, to lean on each other, to be with each other, to attach to each other, to love each other to enjoy each other, to enjoy the world around us. This is what we are meant to be doing. But instead, we are all living in this vigilant state and we are all, um, you know, sort of in this fight or flight or freeze response. And that, yeah, I mean, so much of... Um, so much of our attachment, attachment is another word for safety. How safe did you feel in that relationship? Was it a disorganized way of sa being safe? Was it a secure way of being safe? Was it an anxious situation where you did not feel safe? That is just what it is. How safe were you as a kid? And so when we say attachment styles, we try to like become all, you know, <laughs> intellectual about it. In the end, it's how safe did that kid feel? Could he go or she go to the mom and say, mom, I messed up. And then know that the mom is going to be like, okay, okay, now tell me what happened. But not this like, whoa, you know, shouting and screaming and, you know, or withdrawing. Not don't talk to me. And then mom doesn't talk to her for three days or five days or a week. How did you experience safety as a kid? And if the world was not safe, then you can imagine what happened in your body. So you're going to be emotionally unbalanced, feel very overwhelmed when you're stressed. Uh, you can't sit quietly by yourself because the body and the brain actually feel unsafe. I know I have had people who have said, uh, I, I, have, I know people who have said, um, I can't be by myself or I can't be in a quiet space. Like, don't make me sit. Don't sit, move. Maybe you have to move before you sit because maybe it's just too unsafe. There are people that might go into a full-blown panic because it's just too noisy in your mind and too noisy in your body. So first, maybe we need to shake it off and dance it out and self-touch and create safety and then you sit. This would be trauma-informed treatment. Um, other, there's just a lot of interference in people who've had, you know, developmental trauma, a lot of noise, a lot of um, fragmentation that comes, um, inability to think clearly during times of stress because of that interference that happens in the brain, and then difficulties in relationships, which I think, I mean... We can say that many people are struggling with this right now. So um, let's see. What can I say now quickly? 
Um, so the treatment is going to involve uh, the treatment is going to involve integration. Now, the way trauma-informed, you know, th uh, psychologists and psychiatrists have talked about it is that they break it into this kind of emotions, um, thinking, and the primitive parts of the brain. So you are going to have to work with the limbic system, which is our ability to self-regulate our emotions. You are going to have to work with thoughts, which are about beliefs and cognitions. This is what happens in talk therapy, where we're really going after your making meaning and understanding and problem solving. And that is an important component of that. And same with the emotions. We can deal with thoughts and emotions uh, through talk therapy because a therapist can even help you learn self-regulation. That's all part of the limbic system. And how do you create safety within that body and brain? And then there is the primitive parts, which then have to be accessed through other means, such as the EMDR, brain spotting, movement, body, somatic experience. And that cannot not be part of the therapy. Now, I know I've mentioned to you guys that one of the most, what's the word? I don't even know what word it is. Pivotal, critical, uh, fundamental, life-changing, I don't know what, but all of the above parts of my, um, uh, part of my healing journey that I'm still on, by the way, it's not like I've healed, but on my healing journey has been my work with JV through brain spotting and just active imagination and, uh, and just accessing the memories, the implicit memories through different means. And, and I'm not, I wasn't really looking for like, oh, let me go and access, like no big trauma happened in my life, but I know I have emotional memories that for that little girl who was highly sensitive, highly attuned to the world around her, a slight, you know, even a, be, get, being yelled at by a teacher, being yelled at by a mother, you know, getting a, um, um, reprimanded by someone at school could have been enough to traumatize someone like me. So I knew that about myself. I knew that I lived in this kind of fight or flight state because this part of my brain, the PA and the thalamus and the limbic and the right brain, I mean, these were all very, very activated, the back of the brain. Anytime I went to an energy healer, they're like, the back of your brain is very active. I'm like, what about the front of the brain? <laughs> because that would be really nice if I could have that activated, but it just wasn't working. Um, and so if I knew that about myself, then that's where I went in and I said, I really need to do some some of this EMDR and brain spotting and movement and body work. And that's when my, that was the journey of the body and brain integration. So the work of trauma informed. So if we think about the hallmark of a trauma brain, it is impaired integration. The same thing as fragmentation or a lack of coherence. That is 
what is the hallmark of the brain and body slash nervous system of someone who has had developmental trauma or is, you know, this kind of chronic trauma, traumatic environment that we might be living in without enough resources to rejuvenate and recuperate our, our nervous system. And so there is a loss of safety within that system. And the work of trauma-informed therapy and trauma therapies would be integration and an internal state of coherence. This is about the brain and the body, the nervous system that is um, interconnected to the world. It is connected to our internal world, the social world, we feel safe. Because that connection equals safety. Disconnection equals lack of safety. And so that's what we want to create through the trauma treatments, trauma-informed treatments, uh, treatments that involve emotional thinking and body, okay? So that's what I'm going to say about that. Now, having said that, all of us have emotional memory, guys, that we just can clear out. And this was, this was my intention. I did not have an intention of like, I need to go figure this out. No, I was like, I know I have emotional stuff that I would just like to clear out of my subconscious, unconscious, and I'm going to keep at it and keep clearing and keep clearing. And I am a big fan of all modalities. And I am a big fan of energy healings and working with animals and dance movement and yoga movements and somatic experiencing and tremor release and art expression. Speaking of art expression, um, JV, the person I just spoke to you guys about, he is going to be doing a workshop this weekend which is called the alchemy of art. When you throw those two words together, how can it go wrong? And the alchemy of art is really where you don't talk and you draw out your experience. And he takes you through an extremely powerful experience. I, I've heard profound things about this experience. And I've, I mean, I just can tell you that... It, it's not just me that believes that. There are other people who have really seen that, wow, this is an image of my internal world or this is an image of my experience. And you don't talk. Um, you can't share at the end if there is, you know, if he creates that space and if there is that space, but it really is an, an artistic expression of working with your body. And so that would be another thing that I would recommend. So work with all modalities, come at it every which way. I will say one thing that I have, you know, become very conscious of recently. And you guys can go ahead and do the research on how your posture will be sending signals to the brain of unsafety. If we sit like this, and we're on our phones and we're sort of hunched over, what is this the posture of? This is the posture of unsafety. What is this the posture of? This is the posture of safety, confidence. And I know that there's like all this kind of anecdotal stuff that they've talked about, about 
um, you know, power poses can actually, you know, make you feel more confident. But there is this brain body thing that's happening at this time, guys. And the brain is getting signals through the vagus nerve that oh, it's safe now. Oh, it's not safe. So you might be just dripping cortisol and adrenaline all day long because you're like this. And also, because your neck is like this, this is your the back of your brain, you know, the back of your neck is where this social connection, uh, the social system comes all connected, all this wiring, the vagus nerve starts back here. You're literally suffocating it. You're like strangling it. And so you're like this. And that neck posture is not allowing the flow between the different you know, body and brain to happen. So doing neck exercises is going to be really important and making sure that you're sitting. You know, I, I say to, to my kids all the time when they're on their laptop, you know, every hour I want you to get up and bend backwards, do a hip opener for three, four minutes, just to send a signal to your body, all is well, we are good. Because when you do chest openers and hip openers and push your neck back, you're literally increasing the flow of energy between the brain and the body. And then you have access to more parts of you. So that's another thing that I'll just drop in there. Now, all the other things where you create safety for the body, I've done a talk on this on Instagram. And it should also be on the podcast, which is the part two of the polyvagal system and how you use the three different pathways to create safety for yourself. And the safety for yourself is going to be through the body, through the environment and through social connection. And our social connection system is from here to here. So if you are connecting to people and you're sitting and you're a bit like this, your social connection is really not getting its full boost. So sitting with people, when you do sit with people, put the phone away, engage with them eye to eye, heart to heart, you know, smile to smile, ear to ear. This is where people get a sense of like, okay, I'm safe here. Even things like tilting the head is sending a signal of safety to someone in front of you. And this is all through polyvagal. Uh, research that is done on how do you create safety. So I've done a whole talk on this on body work and things in the environment like having flowers in your environment and scent and smell. Now remember the right brain which is the part that's holding on to lots of memories and that was the part of my brain that was like really really active and I know this and I've had to work on this brain integration um, is um, the touch, sound and smell. So use these three, because this is going to bring a lot, like you're going to move into a faster sense of safety when there is touch, sound, and smell. And when these things are dysregulated, you can imagine that there's going to be a lot more interference in your system. So if you are in um, places that trigger your scent, you know, like it doesn't smell good and it doesn't, um, it doesn't sound soothing the warning signals are going off now that is going to be something that you want to just avoid so avoid the stimulation that you can um that that gets triggered so those are just a few quick things that i will say guys now i've also done a talk recently on movement uh, when it comes to exercise now we can 
help and support our brain through exercise. And, you know, there's an increased number of people that are now being diagnosed with dementia and cognitive impairment. And we kind of think like that kind of goes with, as you age, you lose your, you know, cognitive faculties. Not true, actually. You can have them all the way till the end of your time and end of your life. So how do you strengthen your brain as well? And how do you strengthen your prefrontal cortex? Meditation is going to be one of those things, guys. Non-negotiable. Breathing 11 minutes. Don't, I'm not going to tell you why. Just breathe 11 minutes. Movement. Getting your heart rate pumping. That releases the BDNF, which is a growth factor in the brain. And it helps protect the brain and it makes the brain resilient and it makes the brain able to learn more. It makes the brain creative. It makes the brain able to pay attention for longer periods of time. You want to get that heart rate up to maybe, um, not maybe, 60 to 75% and then short bursts of above 75 where you're kicking it on to full. So you want to really get jogging. Okay, so this is like a jog that you do every day and not jogging because I'd like to lose weight or I'd like to fit into those jeans. Uh-uh, I ain't jogging for that, although that would be kind of nice too. But I am jogging for that BDNF. It's literally like I'm taking all of these supplements, I'm, work, I'm going to sleep, I'm doing all of these things. But why am I not injecting myself with this miracle grow, which is literally how John Rady from Harvard talks about the BDNF, it's the miracle grow of your brain. Well, now I know that most of us are experienced some level of emotional memory that might have been traumatic and parts of our brain that might have been split off and dis you know disintegrated and things that like or fragmented, I should say. Um, and and if I know that all of us have gone through something like that, and I know that I can do more of this protective factors and uh, integrating factors through growth factors that I can release just by a jog. I'm going to go for that jog. So not everything happens in the therapy room, guys, is what I'm trying to get at. There are so many things you can do on your own. And if you can't sit still, then move. And eventually when you move enough, maybe you'll be able to sit still. And just trust that. But there are three different pathways that we're going to go in, the emotional, the cognitive, and the body. So start with one of them. And the body is something you do have control over, something that you can work with. You can control the gut as from what you put into it. And that gut does affect your brain. Guys, really, it affects your brain. You can change the gut microbiome just through sunlight just through breathing around trees and forests and beaches and you know places you can change that so there's there's a lot that our body and brain can do and then the most beautiful part of it is that we can reverse so much we can build so much and our body and our brain is so forgiving and so resilient that we can do it someone asked the question what about meditation yeah you might have just logged on but yeah meditation for sure is going to help thicken the gray matter in the frontal cortex, which is what we need. And even the corpus callosum, which is the integration of the brain, you literally are integrating the brain. There is something called, oh, what is it called? The whole brain, no? Oh, the wheel of awareness. The wheel of awareness meditation on YouTube. 
by Dan Siegel. Go do that. And it will take you through all the different parts. And it's awesome for brain integration. And Dan Siegel is literally like, all he does is talk about brain integration. He's even um, talks about child brain integration. The whole brain child is the book he read, uh, wrote. No, he, he didn't read that. <laughs> he wrote that. I read that. Um, but it talks about how you can bring the left brain and the right brain together as you are, you know, um, disciplining and teaching and raising your child you can actually do this whole brain into integrated parenting um so one of the things he talks about in in that book is like connect before you redirect so we launch into giving lectures but we haven't soothed their nervous system when their nervous system is uh relaxed they're able to learn more and they're going to retain more when they're list like oh my god i just got caught and my mom is going to kill me um yeah no they're not uh gonna retain anything you say at that point so you can say all you want but they ain't listening and they ain't gonna remember it and they're gonna do it again so that would be where you sit you connect and then you redirect their behavior that's going to be um, a book that I recommend and you know what like it kind of helped me I needed to like if you if I turn on that inner parent and I just do that with myself so even if you don't have kids the thing that I love about that book is it just really breaks it down into like super simple terms like name it to tame it so once you engage um, the language centers of the brain to an emotional experience you tend to have more control of those experiences. And so you send soothing you know, chemicals throughout your body that I've got this. Name it to tame it, connect to redirect. So he has all of these like cool phrases, which I use for myself. I'm gonna name it to tame it. <laughs> so it's called the whole brain child, guys. And he has, um, he has many, many books and I think I've read them all. And it, he, his book was the first book I ever read on parenting. So he wrote it, co-wrote it with someone. It's called Parenting from the Inside Out. Whole brain child. <laughs> Super easy, guys. <laughs> and the other one is the first book I ever read, which pulled me onto this path of parenting, was um, Parenting from the Inside Out. But he talks a lot about the neurobiology of attachment. So attachment is not just a feeling. There's actually, you know, brain and nervous system things that are happening as a result of that. And that is really all about safety. So if I overlay what, uh, um, what this um, neurobiology of trauma and I overlay that with polyvagal theory, like it all starts to make sense, the brain and the body.